You're listening to season five of Technically 200, a podcast featuring the stories of Black and Latina women breaking barriers in STEM fields, all while paving the way for the next generation. Tune in weekly to hear from our amazing guests to learn more about STEM fields, how they've navigated these fields as women of color, and about their many contributions to the overall world of STEM. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Ellie Nichols, engineering manager at the Scratch Foundation. Hi, Ellie. Thank you so much for being um, on our podcast today. I'm really excited to have you here and learn more about you and about some of the hottest trends and topics in your field right now. Thank you, Amber. Happy to be here. So can you tell us a little bit um, about yourself, about your story? Yeah. So my name is Ellie Nichols, and I'm also known as LaShawna Nichols. First name is LaShawna. Everybody calls me Ellie. I've been around the software development space for a while. Um, I have about 15 years of software development experience. Currently a engineering manager at an organization called Scratch, uh, Scratch Foundation. Uh, we are a programming language and we are, our base home is based in Boston. I'm here in the Bay Area, um, but I'm an engineering manager currently for their infrastructure and backend engineering team. Um, so yeah, a little bit about me. Uh, I guess you can call me a self-taught engineer, um, even though I do have a bachelor's degree. My bachelor's degree is in business administration, and my minor is in technology, uh, information technology. So my intent was not necessarily to go into software development full-time. Uh, it kind of just grew on me. Um, I started learning software development, um, web design in college, and started doing lots of freelance work. Um, and, you know, 10, 15 years later, here I am, <laughs> an engineering manager. So I've been in the tech space for a while. Um, I'm also a, I'm also the curator of an organization called Black WPT, Black Web Developers, Programmers, Engineers, and Techs. And um, you can check us out online at blackwpt.com, but we are a we're technically a, a network of Black engineers of all kinds. So you'll find software engineers, you'll find um, mechanical engineers, um, electrical engineers, all types of Black technologists in my group. Um, I've been doing that for the last eight years, uh, kind of on the side. But um, yeah, as, in terms of just my whole um, interest area expertise is primarily in software development and just starting to get into crypto and the Web3 space, um, kind of in my own time. So can you talk to us a little bit more about what it means to be a curator of Black WPT? Yeah, so when I say curator, I hate saying that I'm, I, I run the group because I don't feel like I'm running the group, like the group members run the group, you know, we run, we, we, we do it together. We're all engineers and I look at the folks who are the members who are a part of Black WPT as my colleagues, um, you know, we're all members in, in, for the most part. And so when I say curator, I'm kind of the one who's uh, consistently shuffling different events, um, listening to the members, um, coming up with ideas. Um, right now, we've just launched our meetups that are happening across, uh, across the U.S. Um, and so I'm kind of like the the front person of rallying the technologists all around um, and getting them together for these events, 
um, consistently listening to the members and bringing more events to our group, um, ushering more members in, looking for members in other places and just just doing my curator thing. I mean, just for lack of better words, I prefer to be coined as a curator and not the person running it or the CEO or any of that. Right. Now, if that makes any sense. Super, yeah, you're super uh, important, though, obviously. So you touched a little bit on, you know, crypto, Web3, NFTs. Um, so what are, you know, what are some of the hottest trends and topics in your field right now that you've identified? Yeah, so I jumped in the crypto Web3 space like two years ago. Um, my purpose was is to see how beneficial NFTs and crypto was going to be for, you know, for the industry itself. Um, I think Web3 in general, you know, I think ultimately there's so much happening within it. I think there's just like um, we're trying to everyone's trying to figure out how it will work within our industry, how it will solve problems. Um, what what enticed me to kind of look towards Web3 was, well, Web3 and decentralization in general, um, moving away from uh, not having, uh, not having our, our privacy taken seriously, mm -hmm. um, really was what enticed me to kind of look into those areas. And so what I've been doing is I've been looking closely into NFTs, um, how to make the web safer, um, how to make it more private. Um, I just actually released an NFT uh, under a DAO that I had created um, last year called Black Tech DAO. We're still in the middle of making, uh, creating smart contracts and things to make the DAO work. But um, I think my intention was really when I got into the whole space was to figure out how we can make it a little bit more private. And so when you think of Web3 and the Web3 space, uh, one of the top, um, one of the top uh, purposes of it is to kind of privatize your data um, and to move it off of servers and, you know, um, not being a part of this cash cow with major companies like Facebook. I hate to mention it, but Facebook, where our group derived off of Facebook. <laughs> but like all these companies are trying to figure out a way to profit off of our, uh, our data, in a sense. And so that's kind of what attracted me to the Web3 and decentralization, um, kind of a peer-to-peer -peer approach to this new area of technology. Um, and it's consistently growing. There's still a lot of room for improvements, though. That is a lot to take in and can definitely be confusing. Prior to my conversation with Ellie, I had no idea what Web3 was, how it benefits us, or even where it originated from. If you don't either, don't worry. Ali breaks it down for us, in addition to some other topics, shortly. Web3 is purposed to be a 100% blockchain-controlled um, internet. So instead of your websites and, and data and authentication and credit card information, everything that we do on the web, like logging in, checking our email, it's taken off of these servers that are that are owned by these big corporations and now moved to the blockchain. And when you think about when you think about it, you're like, well, is it is it the you know is it the blockchains on a server? And it's true, the blockchains are on a server. They're on someone's computer, kind of like a peer to peer and how the internet works. It's just there's a little bit more um, 
a little bit more control over your identity on those servers. And so yeah. when we log into things like, like uh, for example, when we log into some of the, the, the tools that we use on a daily basis, like our calendars or our emails, um, and we use our Google to log into other websites and things like that, um, the blockchain in Web3 is supposed to remove those, those third-party things away to give you a little bit more private, um, and a little bit more privacy when you're moving across the web, whereas you're not being tracked by cookies. You know, um, you're logging in with your wallet instead, um, not necessarily purchasing anything, but um, having a little bit more um, private privacy towards your activity online. So think about Web3 as not something that, um, or, or moving away from servers, kind of having this serverless approach to moving around on the internet. Okay, that that definitely makes it a lot more clear. So I keep hearing blockchain as well. And I've I've previously heard, um, and for any of our listeners that are listening, that blockchain is also somehow linked to crypto. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Crypto is, yeah. So, yeah, yes. <laughs> crypto, it, crypto derives from the blockchain, yes. Okay. I know there's various types of crypto. Um, what are some of the biggest ones, the most important ones, or any that maybe relate to Web3? Okay, just to give you a little bit of background on on how it works is when you when you think of like the blockchain and you're thinking of this centralized server or serve yeah basically a server um, that has these tools that allow you to create crypto on there's a process of things that we call smart smart contracts that lets us generate these crypto coins. Um, NFTs, they let us generate certain things on the blockchain. So think of a blockchain as a server. And um, when it comes to um, when it comes to crypto, um, de- you know, depending on which crypto you're using, we have a lot of them that exist now, like Bitcoin. We have Ethereum. Um, uh, we have ApeCoin. I just started investing in ApeCoin recently, not to throw out any names, but. Um, but yes, the they all derive from different blockchains, and some blockchains are more um, legacy than others. Like Bitcoin is the, the most mm-hmm. popular one that we are used to. A lot of people are moving away from Bitcoin because it's not as energy efficient to create a coin on on the Bitcoin blockchain. Requires a lot of server power, which is you know everybody's starting to be a little bit more climate. Um, or more resource responsible and more aware of our usage of fossil fuels and consistent energy consumption. Mm. Bitcoin is super old, and the way you just the way that you create a coin is not as energy efficient as the, the other ones that are uh, coming up now. So, um, you know, for lack of better words, I would say. Um, you know, if you are interested in crypto or even j- jumping into the crypto space, there's a lot of Twitter uh, spaces that are constantly being um, started or uh, running on on Twitter. I find a lot of information, too, on Twitter spaces about different coins that are available. Some of them are, you know, some of them are like Bitcoin, I believe, is somewhere in the $20,000, $25,000, $30,000 range right now. There's some that are like, pennies on the dollar right now that you can invest in that may be big uh, and up and coming. 
Now that we know more about blockchains and cryptocurrency, I'm really excited to get to our next topic, NFTs, or for those of you who don't know, a non-fungible token. Ellie is currently working on her own NFT, but for now, she explains the basics of what a non-fungible token is. Well, yeah, NFT is a collectible. It's a digital collectible. And some people use it as, uh, some people create NFTs out of artwork. So like a really, really popular artist, um, say a street artist may have a piece that um, she creates and wants to make it available to, you know, really anyone who is interested in having a rare uh, piece of her work. Um, so she might offer it as an NFT. And, and basically what you can do with an NFT, because it's rare, some people have multiple copies of one NFT, which is, um, which is common. So that piece of artwork that she has, she may only offer five NFTs that are basically the same copies. And she would sell those NFTs um, all the way into the fifth, basically each individual NFT until that fifth one is sold and then it will never be available anywhere online. So it's basically, um, it's almost like having a coin, a crypto coin, but now you have a rare piece of artwork or a, a rare piece of music or a rare piece of digital something um, that is rare and could easily be worth a lot of money depending on the demands, especially if that artist becomes popular and offers more NFTs or starts to, you know, gets, gets on TV or some sort of press release happens and they, you know, their influence becomes a little bit um, more prominent than previous. Um, but having that rare piece um, is basically you're buying a collectible. It's just like going into a, um, it's just like going into an art shop, and you know, uh, you you can either bid or you can buy a rare piece of something, and then now it's yours for, for forever. So um, just think of an NFT as owning something rare uh, and digital. In addition to the multiple initiatives that Ellie is a part of. She also serves on the advisory committee at several California-based school districts to support tech-focused programming. I was curious to know, where did this work stem from? And what is the importance of tech-focused programming for school-aged children? What's, we know this one thing here in California is that a lot of students don't have enough tech exposure um, early off. And, and so what, what I'm doing is I'm participating on a few different boards. Um, they are school district boards um, and they are advisory committees to school districts on trying to find programming that fit um, in K-6 programming, or excuse me, K-6 schools and also high schools and uh, junior high schools and high schools. Um, and so when I say tech-focused programming, like coding, for, for elementary school age kids because their, their brains are creative um, and they can retain a lot more quicker too. And we've noticed that bringing coding programs into K-6 schools, more than likely the kids are going to go to junior high school and want to keep coding or they're going to want to get into art. Right. They want to do something creative where they can use critical thinking and logic and they, they tend to do better at math when they, when they can ex, extend their um their thoughts and their thought pro their, their critical thinking skills early off. So that's kind of what my focus is, is um, with the um, 
my participation in the school districts is helping them think of ways to bring that type of programming to the schools and encourage students to participate in it early off um, because a lot of times they will eventually keep going. I, I'm, I'm a mother of a 16-year-old son and he started coding that's in sixth grade and that's what he wants to be. You know, two years he's going to graduate, but guess what he wants to do? He wants to be, he wants to go to college or computer science to be a software developer now. So, um, right. Yeah. So, so that exposure is important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think, you know, with technology still being extremely understaffed, like there's a ton of software development and technology pro- um, uh, jobs and careers available. Um, you know, these youngsters are the ones who are going to fulfill those jobs later on. Um, their young minds and being exposed to it early is going to be very beneficial to society uh, ulti- ultimately. Absolutely. So speaking, you know, kind of branching off from this, you have an extensive amount of experience in STEM. You know, you said 15 years. Am I correct? Yes. Yeah. And so in specifically tech as it relates to software development. So I'm kind of interested to know, how have you seen the industry change over the years, if at all? Well, I think, I think, um, so another group that I'm a part of or that I created um, is called Breaking Into Tech. And um, we have a ton of individuals in there who are a part of the group who currently work in other fields, but are now interested in the technology field. And so, um, just seeing, just seeing those individuals, um, you know, talk about their interests tells me and tells others who are also in the group surveying it that there is an interest. Um, and in terms of, of how has the industry changed, I think more and more people are realizing that technology is not just coding. There's also other areas um, of technology. And when you bring a bunch of uh, smart, creative individuals from all areas into technology, um, like the possibilities are endless. I mean, now we're we're looking at, um, you know, we're going from from just standard web, you know, to uh, device engineering. We're you know we're moving into streaming on, on uh, smart TVs. Um, there's so many different areas. Look at uh, AR and VR, you know, and, if, and I, I can be even more general about it. Look at, um, I forget the, the young lady's name who created a program. Um, it was called Apps with No Code or something like that. I forget what her name is. Interesting. But yeah. And she, I don't even think she was, she was never even a software engineer, but hmm. she created an app that allowed you to create apps. She, she created a website that allowed you to create apps with no code. Oh, wow. Yeah, I believe last year she made somewhere in the $5 million range. Oh, wow. I'm selling this program. So imagine with just that little bit of knowledge, um, uh, that little bit of knowledge, um, a person who has never been exposed to technology trying that out and wanted to dive even deeper. So as far as trends and where, where I see us going or where, where have we gone, I mean, now we're we're at the point where you don't necessarily need to be coding and knowing programming languages to build a website. You know, I mean, that, that wasn't a possibility six, seven years ago. 
So now we have all these tools that that make it happen. So yeah, I would say that's where we're at. That's that's one key area. Um, sim- simplifying technology to make it available and accessible for people who uh, are creatives, business folks. Yeah. Well, wow, that is that is crazy. I had no idea just how much you know the industry had changed. Um, I think for a lot of our listeners, um, uh, and our girls in our program. Uh, I think a big thing that they've been learning is that there are other ways to break into tech besides just going the traditional software development route. Not that that's a bad thing, uh, but it's not entirely necessary. So um, I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, So with that being said, you know, and you being in the industry for as long as you have, I'm curious to know, you know, on our on this podcast, on our platform, we speak to women of color, uh, Hispanic and black women who um, are breaking into STEM roles or in STEM careers. And so I'm wondering, what has it been like navigating the tech industry as a black woman? Um, you know, it's, it, it, it was hard. Let's just say that. Um, I spent a lot of time, um, I guess you would say I spent a lot of time, uh, reminding, reminding my peers who were black, who were, uh, people of color, that I deserve to be here. Um, mm-hmm. And it was almost like, you know, I don't want to, I, in a way, I don't want to discourage anyone who's listening because they're going to they're think like, oh, I'm going to go through that again. Like, you're not going to go through this because the game has changed big time. Like, right now we have HRs. Now we have, um, we have diversity inclusion people on the team to make sure that the companies aren't ran this way. But 15 years ago, it was challenging. Um, you know, I've always been, I cannot, I've never had a female on my dev team ever. I've always been the only female, even as a senior moving into a lead role, I've always been the only female on the, um, on my development teams as a software engineer. Um, so it, it, it's difficult, but it's, it's, it's not all, it's not all bad. It's, it, it, it was difficult, but like I said, now times have changed a little bit. So, um, you know, I'm in the management space now, and we do have women on our team at the organization that uh, I manage at right now. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that one of the reasons why I moved into management is I wanted to make sure that those areas that, um, that I saw in my career um, got changed. And right. uh, yeah, those those areas got changed. They they um, you know, I can contribute to being a voice to females um who want to get into this to this field and you know um look around me and um you know make my voice be heard. But I'll say as far as my career, it has not been easy. Um it has not been all bad either. Um but um but luckily nowadays there is a good climate of people fighting for women in technology and i think we need more we need more women to to jump in and be a part um one of the one of the most difficult things was always being the only female there Mm. And, and i think the primary reason was that women don't get into technology as much I've been on those panels looking at resumes for years at organizations, being on the hiring committees, and a majority of the resumes that we get are all for men. So it's really important for women to find 
themselves in this in this field and and jump in. There's, there's great money, um, great experiences. Um, you get to flex your 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 creative abilities. You get to mm-hmm. be logic. You you know you you get to jump in and and um, and dominate um, and you know just be fantastic. It's really a great open opportunity right now for women. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, kind of we were talking about before with, uh, you know, the tech focused programming for school age children. I feel like that also contributes to see it's, it'll contribute to seeing more girls entering STEM and specifically tech moving forward. Yep. Absolutely. Do you see those type of programs that exist in your neighborhood? Figure out a way to, to support them in some way, shape or form, whether it's sharing their social media posts, um, sharing it with your nieces or nephews or, um, you know, reaching out and seeing if you can volunteer. That would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So kind of just to wrap up, um, you know, you shared a lot about your experience and your knowledge um, and where you are now. It's so amazing and so inspirational. But if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to young Ellie, what would it be? Um, to not be afraid, not be afraid to take the challenge, um, to, to, to hop on challenges. I went the safe route when I went to college, even though I knew I wanted to go for computer science, I was afraid that the pro that the program, the courses were going to be too complicated for me. So I didn't do it. Um, and I wish I did. Now I look back and I'm like, you know, those fundamentals would have been fantastic. It would have probably made my learning experience on the job a little bit easier. <laughs> um, but don't get me wrong. I did okay um, kind of self-teaching myself. But I would say um, not be afraid to challenge yourself. Um, you know, don't be afraid to go head first into whatever it is that you want to be. Um, and, um, you know, have build up the confidence um, know yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I would probably, those are the, probably the three things is, uh, to be open to challenge, open to challenges, um, knowing myself a little bit more and, um, you know, hitting the, hit the ground running head first. That was, that would probably be my three advices to my younger self. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Ali, for sharing everything with us. It's been amazing getting to know you and your story. Thank you so much for teaching us uh, more about Web3, crypto, blockchains, NFTs. Um, This has been super insightful. And uh, I know that all of our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. So thank you so much. Thank you. I'll be at Northwest Con as well in August. I'm going to be speaking to the featured speaker there. Um, It is a, a tech technology conference in Ohio. I don't know. It's, I'm not sure what the age group is here with your listeners, <laughs> but I will be there speaking. Um, I believe it is also going to be streamed. So in case you guys want to check me out, I'll be at Northwest Tom in August. Awesome. Thanks so much for plugging that, Ali. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technically 200. Don't forget to subscribe and visit us at technically200.com. See you at our next episode.